Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6. And if you're just joining with us, uh, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we started in 2018. <laughs> We're just about done. Okay, get there. Just got a few more. But I hope you have been enjoying this. Um, I think it's important for the church to be growing in uh, the Word as we are instructed in it and as we are being changed by it. But we've been looking here out of Ephesians chapter 6, most recently, and talking about this armor uh, that the believer is supposed to be girded with. And now we come to the sixth piece of armor that uh, Paul makes mention of here. And now, all these other pieces of the armor uh, that we have talked about, um, they're necessary to protect the soldier to protect the believer uh, from the enemy's attacks, um, those pieces of armor cannot necessarily kill the enemy. Uh, You have the shield of faith and you have the gospel shoes and you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Um, Those things cannot necessarily kill the enemy. But uh, today's pieces of armor that we're going to be looking at, the sword, only the sword can actually kill the enemy. Um, can you imagine a soldier carefully uh, being prepared for battle, putting on his boots and putting on his armor and his protective gear and, and being all geared up and then going out into enemy territory without a weapon? What, uh, what purpose would that, would that serve? How would that help that individual? Um, it wouldn't be able to, to do so. Um, So the soldier uh, without a sword wouldn't really last a a minute if the enemy got close enough to that individual and uh, was uh, going to attack them in hand-to-hand combat. Now, there were two types of swords that were used in in military battle during this time in the Roman army. Uh, the first one was, was what we would consider like a broadsword. It'd be kind of like the one that maybe you saw like on uh, Braveheart, you know, Mel Gibson with that long thing, and, you know, the big long sword. And it was, it was used to go out into the, uh, to the enemy field there and you were going to be hacking away at the enemy. Uh, but then there was another sword that was used by the Roman army army, and it was kind of a smaller type sword, and this is the sword that uh, Paul talks about, and this sword is, is the sword that was supposed to be used for close hand-to-hand combat. It was so they could use it in, in the in right way and, and be able to be sharp, and it was powerful uh, type of sword, and it was for close encounter uh, with the enemy. And so these swords here that, uh, that Paul talks about, this one primary particular sword that he, that he makes mention of, um, he, it, was, it was supposed to be used so that, that it could be uh, when you were in close encounters with the enemy. And Paul's trying to drive home a point here to say that 
the enemy that attacks us, it's always with a close encounter. Now, he may be firing at you with a distance with those flaming arrows, right? But that's why you have the shield of faith to protect you. But when the enemy moves in close, you need the sword. You have to have a weapon in order to defend yourself and to be on the offense. And so in order to survive and conquer, we must take and be able to use the sword that God provides us with. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. To stand firm against the enemy, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you want to stand firm against the enemy, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's take a look at our text here. Ephesians chapter six, verse 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the first thing I want you to notice is what is this sword of the spirit? Paul identifies the sword as coming from the Holy Spirit. And then he adds that it is the word of God. This reminds us of uh, Hebrews 4.12. We read the scripture here this morning. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirits of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In that verse, uh, the author uses the word logos, which is to refer to the written word, the word of God. The written word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But here in Ephesians uh, 6, 17, Paul uses a different word, and he uses the word rima, which is really the spoken word. The spoken word of God is powerful comes from the Spirit. And we know that the spoken word is the written word, but we must apply it specifically to the certain situation that we are in. In other words, the written word is the basis for the specific word, the sword thrust of the spoken word. So we have the word, but what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to use it to your advantage. Speaking the word, using the word, so that way you're not being overtaken by the enemy. This is why the word of God is so important for the life of the believer. If you do not use the word of God, you do not have a weapon and you will not be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. So you need it. You must be armed with scripture. Paul's point is that the church must be armed with and use scripture to defeat the enemy. So what is the sword of the spirit? Well, it is the word of God. That's what he says. He says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now we learn two important things about this. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the source of the word. Look what he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit. Paul means that the sword comes from the spirit. 
He originated the sword, which Paul further, he talks about this in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word is inspired. When we talk about that word inspired, what do we mean? You know, sometimes we say, boy, that song really inspired me. Is that what he's talking about? That we're inspired? No, he's talking about that the word of God is breathed out by the spirit of God. And he says, the word of God has been breathed out. God has given us his word. In this day and age that we live in today, people have this idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You can't really know if that's really true. Uh, It used to be that people used to question whether or not the Bible is true. But today they question, is that really what the Bible says? Well, we can know what God says. He has spoken to us and he's spoken to us through his word. And so God breathed out his word. God's spirit breathed out the word through human authors using their unique styles and personalities. I mean, you think about it. Over a period of 2,000, 6,000 years, somewhere around there, you have over 40 different authors, three different languages, and none of them contradict each other, from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, and we have the complete written word of God. And we have this, and it came to us from God. Peter put it this way, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Because the Bible comes to us from the Holy Spirit, it is as reliable as God is. A perfect God is going to give us a perfect word. No errors, no contradictions, no schemes, It is the complete written word of God. And so when Paul here, this is interesting, he says this, notice in the text, he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul is equating the sword of the spirit with the word of God. And he is assuming then the fact that the Holy Spirit is God himself. One other thing about this is that the Holy Spirit always works in connection with his word. This is why it is so dangerous. It's dangerous teaching. It's danger, danger, danger. When you have somebody say, God told me this, and it goes contrary to the word of God. The Holy Spirit never tells us to do something contrary to the word. So that's why we must back everything up by scripture. Is it scriptural? Because the Holy Spirit is never gonna lead us to do things contrary to scripture. The Spirit never contradicts the word. And you need the Holy Spirit to really teach you and guide you into all truth. That's what 1 John 
uh, chapter two tells us, tells us that we need the Holy Spirit because he will guide us and he will teach us all things. He will teach us what is true. And so the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Secondly, the word is very powerful because it comes from God. And it is the very words of God. God's spoken word is powerful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word has power? Then why do we live like, we, like it doesn't? God's word has immense power. Hebrews 11:3 states, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word, the spoken word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. God spoke and the entire universe came into existence out of nothing. The picture of the word as a sword here also implies that it has great power. You think about any, any person that's going into battle. What are they relying upon? They're relying upon training. They're relying upon their armor. They're relying upon the weapon that they have that it has power enough to inflict harm upon the enemy. Can you imagine a soldier going out into battle and going, well, I really don't know about this gun. I don't know if they, well, I don't know. I can really trust this or not. It's been proven and over and over that it has power to do what it says that it's gonna do. And the word of God has power. The sword wasn't used in battle to lightly tap upon your soul, on the uh, enemy's uh, shoulder and say, oh, hi, excuse me, hi, uh, hey. No, it was used to use it, to thrust, to defend yourself. Paul says it has great power for us. It was used to defeat him and to put to death the temptations that Satan puts in front of us. Here are just a few ways that God's word is powerful. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, we see that God accomplishes his plan through his word. Listen to these words. Or as the rain and the snow came down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. James 1.18, God uses his word to impart new life to dead sinners. It says here, in the exercise of his will, not our will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 1 Peter 1.23 says, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and the enduring word of God. Can you remember that time in your life when you heard the gospel, you heard the word of God and it had great power upon your life and it was convicting you of your sin and your lost state before God and you realized that you needed Christ, it has power to do that. So this means that when we share the gospel, the power to save does not lie with our ability to be intellectually, uh, being able to, to talk to the person 
or being able to be really smooth and cool and say the right things. You speak the word of God, you give them God's word and it has great power to convict them of sin and to impart new life to those who are dead in their sins. God uses his word to expose our sin and restore our souls. Don't we all tend to compare ourselves to other people? I tell you, that's, that's what we like to do. We, we, we compare ourselves and we, we say, well, I'm not like that guy over there. Boy, he's really bad, but I'm not. We might say things like, I get angry, but not like that guy. Yes, I struggle with lust, but I'm not a sex addict. Then we read the word which shows us God's holy standard. And it's like when I'm maybe working out in the yard somewhere or doing some type of constructive type thing, and I come into the house and maybe I'm all dirty and I look in the mirror and I realize, oh man, yikes, something wrong here. And the word of God convicts me and shows me and tells me what needs to be changed. It has great power to do that, to expose my sin and restore my soul. But thankfully, it just doesn't leave us there. God uses his word to renew and to revive us. David wrote in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. In all of Psalm 119, 176 verses in all of this, it talks about the power of the word. I encourage you to read Psalm 119, to study it, to find out what it says about the power of the word. Let me give you just a few verses from this. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Psalm 119 verse 93, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have preserved my life. Psalm 119.107, I have suffered much, preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Psalm 119.149, hear my voice in accordance with your love, preserve my life, Lord, according to your laws. Psalm 119.154, defend my cause and redeem me, preserve my life according to your promise. Psalm 119.156, your compassion, Lord, is great, preserve my life according to your laws. Psalm 119.154, See how I love your precepts, preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and the Spirit is the source of that word, and therefore the word is very, very powerful, and we can rely upon it. Here's the second thing. Use the sword for offensive and defensive purposes. The sword is really the only weapon mentioned in this whole passage. From the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, the sword is the only weapon that is mentioned here. But it was also used for defense and offense. When the enemy came in close for combat, Paul is especially referring to God's word as spoken or proclaimed specifically to a particular situation. 
Paul is talking about the skillful, careful application of God's written word to a particular situation. You see, this is why we are not to fight the enemy with our own ideas, with our own strength, with the things that we may think, think of. When people are put in a situation where they might be tempted or they might fall in the temptation, uh, they might think by moving to a different city is going to help them, changing jobs, doing this, getting rid of my spouse, doing this, doing that, whatever it may be. But God says, no, the problem lies with you and you need to start using the word specifically in your situation so that you might be able to defend yourself from the enemy. Let me give you a few examples of this, of how we use the word defensively and offensively. Defensively, we use the word to ward off the temptations and the attacks of the enemy. Our primary example uh, from this is uh, Jesus himself who used God's word to ward off Satan's attacks of temptations. Uh, if you can remember, Jesus was hungry from fasting, so the devil said in Matthew 4, 3, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus answered in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was quoting directly from Deuteronomy 8, 3. And so he was using the word to combat against Satan's attacks. Next, we read that Satan takes him up, Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and suggested that he throw himself off, remember? He says, if you, if you cast yourself off, hey, I like this. Satan actually then used the word to speak back to Jesus. Listen to what, what Satan says. He quotes, Satan quotes, from Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But the devil left out a phrase. He left out this phrase, to guard you in all your ways. The sobering point is Satan knows scripture and can use it wrongly against you and cause you to fall. So you should be on guard against that. But Jesus went contrary to that, and he says, no. Deuteronomy 6.16, Satan, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan wasn't through, though. He takes him one more time, and he says, all right, I'm going to get him this time. I'm going to get him takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus again came back quoting scripture, citing Deuteronomy 6.13. Go Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The instruction for us is the fact that each time Jesus responded with a specific, appropriate scripture to the temptation that he was being faced with. And you too must find the scriptures that deal with your specific temptations. 
You have a temptation of lust. You need to find out what the word of God says about lust. This is the will of God for your life that you abstain from sexual immorality. You have a, a problem with gossip. You need to find out what the word says about gossip. If you have a problem with who knows, whatever it may be, pride, selfishness, envy, jealousy, lying. You need to find out what the word of God has to say about the specific subject and use it to your advantage because you've got to be on defense against the temptations of the enemy. Offensively, we should be striving to use the word in our worship as we gather every Sunday morning. God's word must have a place of primary importance in the life of the church. Satan repeatedly attacks the church by trying to get it to diminish the preaching of the word. Paul warned Timothy about this danger after commanding him to preach the word. He explained in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. This is why it is so important. Just because a church uses the word God, Jesus, Bible, Christ, gospel, doesn't necessarily mean that they are following the teachings of the word of God. And so the word of God must have primary importance in the life of the church. Faithful expository preaching of the word is so important for the church. If you look at church history, anytime you find growth and great uh, revival breaking out, you will find at the center of that was the faithful preaching of the word of God. The seeker church movement today has deliberately downplayed the expository preaching with shorter topical sermons uh, along the lines of using God and the Bible to help you succeed. And uh, even though these churches draw large crowds, um, they put on slick entertaining programs, but they're very light on preaching. And so the word of God must have its primary importance in the life of of the church. Let's look at a third thing here. Be skilled in swordmanship. I think I may have told you all this one time when I was in middle school, high school, I can't remember exactly when, I took fencing classes. I'm gonna learn how to, right? You had to learn the different things, the tactics about it. And here, if you're going to use the sword of the word, you are going to have to be familiar with it. You're gonna to have to know your weapon. Um, this means that you need to saturate yourself with the word by every possible means. Here are just a few ways that you can become skilled with the word of God. Know what the word says and know it well. The word is not a magic charm that we put on our coffee table or carry a pocket version for good luck. You must know how to wield it in battle. Uh, John MacArthur wrote this about the verse here in Ephesians. 
Uh, he says, unlike the shield, however, which gives broad and general protection, the sword can deflect an attack only if it is handled precisely and skillfully. It must parry the enemy weapon exactly where the thrust is made. And as we have seen, Satan knows the word very well. And uh, you must know how to use the word in every situation in your life. So know the word, know what it says, and know it well. I remember uh, working at a, um, it was uh, Ingalls grocery store. This is when I was living in Tennessee uh, when I was in college. And uh, I was at a, uh, it was a deli there, and a guy came up to me and uh, he asked me, he said, uh, hey, how you doing? I was like, oh, I'm doing great. He goes, why are you doing so good? I said, okay, well, this is a great opportunity to give praise to God. So I uh, gave a short testimony of praise about God, who he is and, and what he's doing in my life. And he goes, oh man, that's great. You know what else the Bible says? And I was like, okay, here we go. He's gonna give me some scripture, right? He goes, when there are two footprints walking on the beach, and then you only see one pair of footprints, that's when Jesus was carrying you. I'm thinking, ah, that's not in the Bible. I mean, it's nice and spraying quote, but that's not in the Bible, right? You got to know the word, what it says. <laughs> know the word by reading it constantly. Read through the Bible consecutively. Did you know by reading four chapters a day will get you through the Bible in an entire, in about a year? Just by reading four chapters a day, it'll get you through the word of God. Uh, we have several Bible reading uh, programs on our website that you can make yourself available to, how you can read through a Psalm and Proverb and Old Testament, New Testament, and uh, you can download those or you can add them to your Google Calendar or your iCal Calendar. So we have those available for you, but you should read the word for yourself. And you know, devotionals are helpful, but... Uh, there is nothing like just getting into the word yourself, finding out what the word says yourself, not what somebody else has to say about it. Uh, know the word by studying it in addition, just not to reading it. Study the word. Get you some helpful Bible study materials. A concordance would be very valuable. There are so many online things, blue letter Bible, um, e-sword that is available. You click on a word, gives you all kinds of other verses with it. Know the word, study the word. Um, know the word by memorizing it. Psalm 119.11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorize key verses that relate to areas that you are struggle with. Um, the word will only change your life if you know it well enough to apply it. And so you got to know the word. In the preference to the Geneva Bible, the Puritans uh, put together, they said this, the Bible is the light to our paths, the key of the kingdom of heaven, our comfort in affliction, our shield and sword against Satan, the school of all wisdom, the glass wherein we behold God's face, the testimony of his favor and the only food and nourishment of our souls. You have a very powerful weapon, use it. Use it to your advantage. Let's pray together.
interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.